one of those physical connection cards, just hold on to it until the end of the service. There will be ushers standing by the back doors, and you can just drop it right in there, along if you have a physical uh, offering envelope, you could also drop it in there as well. All right, here we go. Are you guys ready for this morning? Oh my gosh, you got to give me more. Listen, I'm a black preacher. I came from a black church. Come on, give me a little bit more than that. (laughs) Amen. All right, good, 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 good. Listen, um, you know, I, I like to, uh, I like to th- bring things back to the beginning, if you haven't noticed. Um, you know, the book of Genesis has that creation account. Uh, and in the creation account, uh, God creates the entirety of all that's in existence um, by speaking. And so God speaks and there's light. God speaks and there's darkness. He speaks the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, When he speaks, there's birds that fill the air. And then he speaks and then the fish fill the waters. He speaks and then uh, dry ground appears. And then when he speaks again, it says that the, the, the ground brings forth animals. But you know that on the sixth day, it comes to the creation of humanity. And on that sixth day... God doesn't simply speak and form humanity, but rather it says in the book of Genesis in the second chapter that that God takes the dust of the earth. It's almost like God with his divine hand gets his hands dirty and he scoops the dust and it says he forms a man and then he blows the breath of life and it says that Adam becomes a living being, amen? And it's really amazing because imagine what it must have been like to be Adam. You had the fullness of God right in your midst. And guess what? Not only did you have the fullness of God, you had no taint of sin because this was before the fall. And so God, uh, Adam has all of God. He has all of the creation, the garden that God had prepared for him. And he doesn't have these, these, this, this weight and this hindrance that sin brings. You'd think Adam would be just fine, and he would have all that he needs. But then in the second chapter, God says something so curious. Given the context, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. You know, in the whole creation account, God never says it's not good. Every time he creates, he says, at the end of the day, it was good. And then he comes to this moment where he creates humanity and Adam is there. Again, Adam in perfect fellowship, perfect harmony with God. And God says, something is not good. How could this be if he has all of God? Well, God says he's going to make a helper. And he goes on to make Eve for him. Someone say, all right. Here's the reality. The reason that God says it's not good is because while we all know that there is a God-shaped hole in our heart, there's also another hole, and that's a human-shaped hole. You see, all of us were designed with this intense yearning to be in relationship with other people. We were designed to be in community. And so even when God creates Eve, he creates the very first community. And God's intention from the very beginning is that we would never do this thing called life or Christian journey alone. But rather we would do it with people. Just as God in the gospel is restoring this this vertical relationship between ourselves and him, he's also restoring horizontal relationships between ourselves and those around us. 
God designed us to be in community and fellowship with one another. And so, in this book of Genesis, he has this moment in which he says he's not alone, and he forms a first community, and then they go on together. Can I suggest to you that you can be a Christian and be lonely? Newsflash. You can be a lonely Christian. You can actually be a Christian and be isolated and alone. And guess what? The Lord would say, that is not good. You can be a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, reading your scriptures every day, intense prayer life, and God would still say it is not good if you're doing this thing alone. You may have this wisdom and depth of insight about the scriptures that you could stand on this stage, preach my socks off, and cause me to take notes, but if you're doing it alone, God would still say it is not good because you're meant to do it together. You know, there's a saying that says, when you're going on a journey, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. My question is, how far do you want to go in your Christian journey? How far do you want to go into the heart and mind of God? If you want to go far, you're going to have to go together. You're going to have to go with other people. That is God's design. That is God's intention, that you don't do this thing alone. You know, I want to underscore, like, we have this life group fair that's coming out. Uh, that's, that's meaning based on the campaign that we're about to start. And we're going through this series called The Chosen. Can I tell you it's going to change your life? It's going to change your life. I mean, in fact, if it doesn't change your life, come find me in the parking lot. You can have your words with me. It's going to change your life. Uh, you know, as someone that's, that's trained, especially in Near Eastern studies, it's amazing how this series really captures the culture and the world of the, uh, of the time. And, and so like, I'm just impressed. Like, there are scholars on board for this. I want to tell you that you're going to grow in your faith in more meaningful ways if you choose to do it together. And I want to give you guys some compelling reasons this morning for why you ought to choose community. Why you ought to choose community. First, you choose community because it is at the heart of the scriptures. The Christian scriptures presuppose community. They presuppose that you're doing it together. As we just now discussed, in the book of Genesis, at the very beginning, God ordains community. He says that it's actually not good if it's just you and him, just you and God alone, but rather you're meant to do this with others. At the book of Genesis, it goes on to introduce us to this character named Abraham. Now, God makes with Abraham and with several other characters in the scripture a thing called a covenant. A covenant is a promise that God makes that he will not break. But you know when God makes these promises to these individual characters, it's never just about the individuals. But rather, he makes promises to the individuals for the sake of a community. And so even when he encounters Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless your offspring, and they're going to be a people. They are going to be a community. And not only that, God was going to use that community to bless the entire community of earth. All the peoples on earth would be blessed. And so even when God was making this individual covenant with Abraham, he was thinking about a collection and a community of people. 
Let me tell you this. When God actually moves within you in your time of prayer and solitude, it's actually not just about you. But it's about him filling you so that then you can get to a community and he will move through you. And so God takes us and uses those times of intimate, private prayer and solitude, which is biblical because we see Jesus do that. But he uses those times of solitude for the sake of bringing something back, a blessing to pour back out into the community. Some of you are thieves and you don't even know it. You know what that means? You're thieves because guess what? God has given you gifts that he wants to get released, but you can only give a gift when you're in community with other people to give the gift to. And so God is calling us to community. We see that in the heart of the scripture. When we go forward, we can even look at Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, the fullness of God in human form, the Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that died on the cross for our sins. Guess what? He didn't do it alone. Jesus himself was in community. He had the 72 disciples. Then he had the intimate uh, disciples of 12. And then he had that close knit of three, Peter, James, and John. Jesus was in community. He walked with them. He talked with them. Even when he did ministry, he would do ministry alongside of them. When he fed the 5,000, he actually had jobs and responsibilities for them to organize and gather the people. Jesus himself was in community. If Jesus was in community, how could you or I think that we're going to do this Christian journey by ourselves? We're meant to be in community. Think about this. In the book of Revelation, in heaven, it gives us a glimpse of that which is to come, a glimpse of eternity. It says that the people were gathered around the throne saying salvation belongs to our God as a community. Even in heaven, we're going to be a gathered people with our eyes fixed on the living and eternal God. Forever and ever, we're going to be in a, a community. And Jesus, when he establishes the church, he does not establish a group of autonomous individuals. No, he establishes a body of believers that would be known as the body of Christ. Let's read this scripture written by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. He talks in this verse about how we're a body. Um, how would a body ever function if your body was completely dismembered and disjointed and not connected? That would be absurd. The functionality of our body is the fact that, we're, that the body functions as one. It's connected. It's linked up. It's, your body is actually intimate with one another as blood flows through all these different parts of your being. In the same way, if we are called to be the church, we can't choose to live just as autonomous individuals, but rather we're meant to function in intimate spaces with one another. And this morning when I'm challenging you all to engage in community, I'm not just in, in, in challenging you all to just be in a group, but rather to be in community with the group. That means I'm challenging us all to be known and to know those around us. 
I'm not challenging you just to show up and dart out of the building before anyone says, says hi. No, I'm challenging us to say, this is my brother. This is my sister. This is what's going on in their life. And this is what they know what's going on in my life. And this is how I'm holding them up and how I'm building them up. And this is how I'm receiving from the gift that they have to offer. And this is how I'm pouring into the mix the very gift that I have to offer. Community. The second compelling reason that I believe you ought to choose community is because it provides safety and encouragement. It provides safety and encouragement. In the first letter of Peter, uh, chapter 5, he refers to the believers as a flock of sheep. And then in verse 8, he gives this insight into the tactics of the enemy. And he says in the verses it reads, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I want to zone in on that. He says that Satan is like a roaring lion. You know, when I was younger, my mom used to love watching nature shows. At the time, I didn't like them, but she told me that one day I would, and um, I am now a big nature show fan. I am. It's true. She was right. It was prophetic. She told me that I would like it, and honestly, almost every week, I watch something on nature, every week on a YouTube clip. In fact, most recently, this is a complete tangent, but most recently, um, I, I, I saw this, uh, this golden beetle uh, scarab. It's, it's, has anyone ever heard of this? Oh, you guys aren't nature fans. It, oh, you've heard of it. It's, it's amazing. It's this beetle. Uh, you could Google it. Don't Google it now. Google it later. <laughs> but you can Google it. And it's this beetle that is actually gold. It has a metallic gold color to it. It's amazing. It looks like little gold gems, like you just hold it. And so uh, that's just my latest uh, interest. Now, that has nothing to do with my sermon. But what does have to do with my sermon is that when I was younger, we had watched these, 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 these nature shows. And you know what the highlight of all the nature shows are? The what? Yeah, yes, Big Cat Week, Big Cat Week. So Big Cat Week, some of you guys watch Big Cat Week. Big Cat Week was great because you'd see the, the cheetahs, the leopards, the tigers, and of course, the lions. And they would do these hunts. And you know something? Lions actually have a very, very simple strategy when they're hunting. You know what? They look for the zebra that's out just chilling. And the whole herd is moving away. And they're just out there chilling. And they get separated from the herd. They're isolated. And guess what? The lions are like lunchtime. And they go and they get the zebra. And the zebra wakes up and says, oh, snap. And the lions pounce and they devour. Now, here's the thing. Satan is actually like that. He loves to get Christians isolated because he understands that there is power in the herd. There's power in the community. Satan does his worst and most, and most toxic work in isolation. It's in that isolation that we get this depths of depression. It's in those isolation that sin creeps in unknown and hidden sin comes. Isolation can breed so many things that are not of God and Satan is right there to capitalize on isolation. Do you know in all the years of watching nature shows, I have never ever seen a lion that says, where's the thickest part of the herd? I'm jumping in the middle of that to get my next meal. In fact, 
on rare occasions, I have seen lions in the middle of a big herd get trampled because of the size and the power of the unified herd. Let me tell you, there's safety in the herd of believers. There's safety in the community. Because you see, when you're weak on this journey, there's someone there to lift you up. When your conception of God is, is, is shifting towards something that is not true or accurate, there's someone to speak into you. We must be in community. It's part of our safety. Beyond that, in the community is encouragement. Encouragement. Let's read this next verse. This next verse, it says from the writer of Hebrews, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It talks about stirring one another and encouraging one another. You know, there are some giftings and some parts of your destiny that are going to get released by the words and the encouragement of those around you. And there are some of the destiny, destiny and giftings of others that you're going to be the one to stir up because of your words and your actions of encouragement towards them. This is the way that the Christian community is, is shaped. This is the intention of God from the beginning, that together there would be a moving and a, and a healing work and also a spurring on work that happens in the community. Now, the reality is that sometimes we read scriptures like this and our cynicism and skepticism kicks in because some of us have been hurt by community hurt by Christian community. And you know what? I've been hurt by Christian community too. I've been hurt by church, by church. So I'm, I raise my hand right with you as being among those with church hurt right here. But you know what? When I'm honest, I've also hurt people. I've also caused church hurt. I've been on both sides of the coin. And if we're honest, the vast majority of us have also been on both sides of the coin. And the reason is, is because I, Pastor Charles, I'm broken. And you are also broken. And together, we are a broken community that God still loves and calls precious. And together, the grace of God is blowing through us that day by day, month by month, minute by minute, we're reflecting in deeper ways the image of God together. And so my challenge is don't allow the messiness of community to cause you not to engage. You, you know, I, I like gyro sandwiches. I know that, that yeah, that, that, was, that changed the whole momentum of that whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it's true from time to time. This is actually accurate. I'll be up here. So I usually, I will fast into my sermons. And so usually around this time, I'll be preaching and a thought will go around my mind about food. It's very true. In fact, there's been one time, I remember this happened, I think, two sermons ago. I was preaching and I was like, how do I get to Jersey Mike's? Now, if I take Route, I was like, I was like Route 46 West will bring me past it. Then I got to go back to 46 East, but maybe there's a back. In the middle of my sermon, I was preaching and I just went through my mind. I said, no, 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 God, God, God. All right. 
So I, 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 I like gyro sandwiches, you know, that Greek Mediterranean dish, and, and I don't eat them with a fork and a knife. I, I dive in. I, I fold it, tzatziki sauce, onions, lettuce, tomatoes, whatever else they got in there, put it on. And I'm eating this thing. I'm going to tell you, it's a very, very messy meal. It's messy. It, it's goops everywhere. If you're going somewhere, don't have your, put a bib on. And I, I'll eat this sandwich, and even though it's messy, it's not going to stop me from eating the sandwich because there's a joy as you eat the gyro. Amen. Some of you guys are going to see me at Halal Guys, right? Halal, 130, Halal. Um, so I like the gyro sandwich. It, can I tell you that, yes, community is messy. It's messy, but you see, when I eat my sandwich, just because it's messy, I don't stop eating it. All I do is I just make sure I'm careful. In the same way, just because community is messy doesn't mean you don't engage with community. Just ask God for wisdom and how to engage. Because the reality is that for you not to engage is going to cause it so that God is actually going to look and say, you doing this isolated Christian journey alone is not good. That's not my words. That's God's words. Because you were never intended to do it alone. In eternity, as we looked talked about before, you're not going to do it alone. So in the community, there's safety and there's encouragement. And then third is that community is an integral part of our witness to the world. It's an integral part of our witness to the world. Um, in the book of Acts, just let me give you some background about, about the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts was written by, by Luke. So the same person that wrote the gospel of Luke wrote the book of Acts. Um, in fact, in scholarship, you study those books together because really it's actually one gospel in two volumes. That's how it works. It's one gospel in two volumes. And so uh, the book of Acts talks about the church, the church being the body of Christ. So in the gospel of Luke, we see Jesus live and do things on earth. And then Jesus dies, resurrects, goes to heaven. And now the church continues the mission of Christ as a body of Christ. And it gives this glimpse about how that Christian community looked. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. And this was the ideal look of the ideal vision of what Christian community ought to look like. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, here's what's interesting. Luke writes this to a gentleman by the name of Theophilus, um, who wasn't part of the Jewish community, he was a non-Jew. And when he writes this, he's trying to give an image of the, the, the nature of this community and how powerful it is. That word fellowship is in the Greek, a word called koinonia. And it's actually a, a, a word of idealism. It actually is like similar to the way we'd use a utopia. And so it is reserved for only certain uses. And basically what he's saying is this community of believers that we know is the body of Christ, they're living in this amazing utopian community with one another. 
And, and he's basically making the case like Theophilus, like you got to get part of this. You got to be in this because look at what's happening with the people. Because in their mind, man, if a people are, are that living in harmony with each other in this, to this extent, man, what they're preaching and what they're proclaiming must be true because we're seeing it in their community. And, and we, even from this verse, we see the community is generous. It says that they gathered in the temple and, and broke bread in their homes. Uh, that, that means uh, they had corporate worship very much like what we're having right here, all together. But then they also broke bread in their homes. So they had life groups. Hint, hint, that's a pitch for life groups. They had life groups where they, they were intimate with each other and had these small gatherings. They had both of those. And, and not only that, because of this community... It says that people were being added to their number. You know why that happened? It's because, as we mentioned earlier, we all have this God-shaped hole in our heart, but we also have a human-shaped hole in our heart. This community created a place in which the God-shaped hole was being filled, and then that human-shaped hole was also being filled. It's part of our witness to the world because, you see, the world will see you. Uh, and many of you probably heard this quote before, and I'll say it again. They may never read the Bible, but they're going to read you. They're going to read how you love one another. They're going to read how we gather together with one another. And God can use that to cause them to say, whatever's going on there, I want to belong to that. Whatever it is that they believe, whatever is God, whatever God that they worship is doing, I want in. The Lord added to their number daily. Now, I mentioned earlier that sometimes we have um, hindrances to community because we've been hurt by community. We've been hurt. We have some scars and wounds. Uh, and I gave the challenge, don't let that stop you from engaging community. But then there's also occasions in which we don't engage community simply because we just aren't intentional. And in a, in a word, we're just too lazy to, to actually go out of our way to form relationships. We just rather keep to ourselves. It's like the product of Western individualism. You know, that's a big thing. Like, like you know, philosophically, like many of you might know by teaching the philosophy and religion department at, at Bergen, uh, my specialty is in the area of religion, not philosophy, but I've taken courses in philosophy. But you know, uh, the famous philosopher Descartes he says, I think, therefore I am. Many Who has heard that, that quote before? I think, therefore I am. Um, you know, that's, that's such a pivotal Western way of thinking. You know, um, some of the other uh, portions of the world, like uh, even if you look at philosophical thought in Africa, there's this concept of Ubuntu, which says, I am because we are. And you know, that concept actually resonates closer with the worldview of the scripture. And that our identity is tied to the community around us. And, and, and sometimes if we, if we approach community uh, from this perspective of like, ah, I don't have to do it because I'm good. I'm, I got my own life going on. The kids got their extracurriculars. Uh, I go to work. I'm tired. And we're like, I'm not willing to put the effort because community doesn't fit my needs or fit my schedule. And so you neglect it. Um, you're actually taking on a worldview that's not resonant with the Bible itself. Because that's not how the Bible thinks about it. The Bible thinks about community like you do this because in doing this, you glorify God. In doing this, you're true to the original design of who you are. You know, there's a, an apologist who passed away some years ago by the name of Nabil Qureshi. And I don't know if any of you have heard this name, but uh, he was a Muslim. And then he came to faith in Jesus. 
Um, he has a very, very uh, famous book uh, that says Seeking God and Finding Jesus. And it's a great book. And uh, when he became a Christian, um, it tore his family apart. It was it, like, it was, and, and especially in a very uh, strict Muslim context, to become a Christian is like the worst thing to do. Like they almost would rather you worship Satan than become a Christian. And I mean that literally. Because it is, it is like the antithesis of Islam. Well, he became a Christian, and when he tells his family, it just broke him apart. And he said he prayed to God and said, God, why, why did you just make me a Christian? Just, why don't you just kill me? Let me just die uh, rather than see my mother or father suffer and this and that. And he said the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and the Holy Spirit said, Nabil, it's not about you. It's not about you. This morning, can I say, engaging in community actually isn't just about you. It's about being obedient to Christ, and it's about the people around you that you're going to bless. Let me say this, that when we look throughout history, the greatest moves of God are done in the context of community. Acts, the second chapter, when the Holy Spirit comes, it says that they were gathered together in prayer. And in that context of being gathered together, it says the Holy Spirit blew like a violent wind. And it says tongues separated like, like fire on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. And then they went forth and proclaimed the word of God. And people came into encounter and the reality of who Jesus was. But it started because they were gathered together. God seems to move when people are gathered together. One of those famous scriptures that many of us know and like where it's, it comes from the book of Chronicles where it says, my people who are called by my name, if they return from their wicked ways and pray and call to me, I will come and I will heal their land. It doesn't say just person. It says people, the community that's gathered together. Many of you may be familiar in the early 20th century, there was these two big revivals, the Welsh revival in the UK, where this one person said, let's get together and devote ourselves to a deeper sense of loyalty to Christ. And so they started to gather on Sunday. Then they said that we're going to gather together midweek. And before you knew it, the spirit of God fell and hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ during that Welsh revival. Similarly, in California, on Azusa Street, there is a man by the name of William Seymour, an African-American man who is blind in one eye, who said, let's gather together and just pray for the Holy God to come and fill our midst, to fill our presence. And guess what? When he started to gather together, the Spirit of God fell. And guess what? It was unique. And we knew it was the Spirit of God because at that time in the early 20th century, the country was so racially divided. But at the gatherings, you saw people from all different races gather together under the leadership of an African-American man. And the Spirit of God blew through their midst as they were gathered together. In recent times, in the mid-90s, in Toronto, a vineyard church, people were gathered together and the spirit of God blew. Even our lead pastor caught fire up in Toronto in this gathering. And that was one of the impetus for this church, among other movements of God. So there are some things that God will only do in the context of community.
There are some blessings that God will pour out in the context of a gathered people. And so you can pray by yourself in your prayer closet 24-7, but God won't release it until you pray 24-7 with those people around you. We are called to be a gathered people. Don't go alone. If you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, go together. Amen? Amen. Would you guys stand with me really quick? I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you guys this morning. Um, I'm going to pray for two people. I'm going to pray for just us as a community that we would, we would gather together, especially as we go into this life group season and we have small groups uh, we're just going to pray that God would bless and blow through those small groups. And then I want to pray for some of you that have never dealt with that God-shaped hole in your heart and you've never come to faith. So I want to pray for both of those. Uh, would you bow your heart with me? And I say bow your heart because God is more concerned with the posture of our heart uh, rather than the posture of our head. And so have your heart bowed with me. And so most high God, I just pray for the blessing of God right now among us, your people. I pray that you would just fill us that you would just blow through us. Come now, Holy Spirit. We invite you. We say that you are worthy. We say that you are good. Lord God, as we even go into this season of life groups, we pray, Lord God, that there would be intimate and authentic relationships with those within our group, Lord. I pray that you would do the supernatural. Would you do the miraculous, Lord God? Would you... Blow our expectations with your love, your goodness, and your mercy. And if right now, if there's any of you who have never made a commitment to Christ, you've never given your heart to him as your savior, you've never dealt with that God-shaped hole, I just want to lead you in a prayer here that you can repeat in your heart. Say, most high God, I love you. I'm a sinner, but I know that you are the one who died for those sins. You're the one who resurrected to life that I might live with you. I trust you as my Savior. I trust you as my Lord. Take my heart now. And Lord God, we just seal this time with your goodness. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. So before, before you start packing up, um, if you did pray to just give your heart to Christ, we just ask you to text uh, follow to this number you see on the screen, 201-584-7188. Um, for those who have already believed in Christ, I encourage you, go find a life group that fits you. Uh, there's, we meet six days of the week, and so there's one that's going to fit your schedule. Um, and also we have our prayer ministry to my right if you need prayer. And other than that, go in the grace of the Lord, and we'll see you guys at life groups, and we'll see you next Sunday.